0: Hi, welcome to another edition of Children of Song. This is the podcast that explores what it must be like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you who are taking the journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with musicians whose parents made a name for themselves in the music business. We want to know what it was like to be exposed to that kind of fame and hear about the interesting people they've met backstage or in their homes. I'm Robert K. Orman. And I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey, how are you? And Brad's here to help me keep this train on the tracks. Good to try. As we continue our Nashville swing, we have the pleasure today of spending some time with a fantastic singer-songwriter. Her name is Holly Williams, and she is the creator of three albums that you need to go out and get them all right now, but most especially a record called The Highway, which is her most recent one, and the one that I have fallen completely in love with. She's one of the most compelling artists you will hear, and uh, she's critically acclaimed and needs to be the most famous person on earth, so there.
1: (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs)
0: Holly is the daughter of Hank Williams Jr. and the granddaughter of Hank Williams, who was the most influential singer-songwriter in country music history, and so that's quite a legacy to have to live up to. (laughs) Yes, sir. You grew up. Fairly ordinary in Nashville, though not mm-hmm. not lavish lifestyle or anything like that.
1: Yeah, we grew up with my mom about actually a mile from here, where I live now. And um, let's see, I was born in Coleman, Alabama, and left there when I was three, and um, came here to Nashville. Let's see, they split in well around that time, I'm thinking eighty four. So we came up here, and in an incredibly normal childhood, and the few times that we would see dad in his kind of fame element was rare enough to where it was still unbelievably exciting. Um, So it
0: was real exotic to actually see him in his element?
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. very, 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 because Mm -hmm. he would always say, I'm not Bocephus, I'm daddy, Um, you know, we would go hunting and fishing with him. I have many memories of that, but very few, I maybe went to Gosh, five or six concerts when I was younger. I mean, you know, they were very wild.
0: For those of you who don't know, a Hank Jr. show in back in the day was literally guns going off and mm-hmm. rowdy and crazy and
1: sex, and drugs, and redneck. country redneck. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget a security guard years years later um, I met told me that it was literally more arrests that night than the Guns N' Roses, any of the big, you know, Poison, any of the shows that there were more arrests at the Hank Jr. concert. So, um, you know, this is back in the day where you didn't have security guards in between the stage and the crowd. So, um, women would, you know, get, take all their clothes off and get on stage. I mean, it was wild. So needless to say, he didn't really want us around the concerts, nor did my mom. So, um, a few times I remember very, you know, vividly, he would come and pick us up from school in a limo and we get to take the limousine to the airport and fly with him to a show. And he'd pick the most random kind of quieter cities, even though there wasn't much of a quieter place. But, you know, take us to a show, bring us back on the plane in the limousine. But like I said, it was so rare that it was like any kid like, Oh my gosh, we're going in the limousine. We're going to get on an airplane. And um, so we, most of our time spent with him when it was spent with him was on the farm. You know, he was on tour. Gosh, at that time, I think he was doing about 260 days a year, which was just all the time. So we would see him every few months in and out very quickly, and then and then spend more time uh, at his house in Paris, Tennessee.
0: Right. He was, uh, the shows were real events. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I remember I went to one in Murfreesboro, and I was driving a rattle trap of a car at the time, and I said, I turned to my wife, and I said, I'm worried about whether the car will get us back to the house or not. And she said, don't worry about it. There are more people in this audience right now that can fix your car than have ever been gathered in one
1: place. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so true.
0: That's his audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, everything was, um, you know, pretty subdued. I grew up spending a lot of time uh, with my mom's side of the family in Marouge, Louisiana. You
0: were close to your grandparents, um, weren't you? Very
1: much, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. So you know, a lot. It, the other side is so focused on, but obviously, I didn't know Hank Williams Senior. Dad has very little family, so I, I grew up without a lot of of that of the, kind of the Hank Williams side as, as a part of. Mm-hmm of everything in my youth. And not until I started writing my own songs and, and doing my own shows, actually, especially overseas in my early 20s, did I realize that Hank Williams Sr. was actually like a legend who influenced the world. Do you think that
0: becoming a songwriter was somehow tied to the fact that you were a daughter of divorced parents? Do a lot of divorced kids yearn for their parents to get back together and have all these fantasies about their mom and dad. Do, yeah. Is that That's kind so of so interesting.
1: You're... I've never thought about it like that. I think that... For me, maybe not as much because I do not remember any of the split. Mm -hmm. So my sister does because she was old enough. But I never, ever remember living with my dad in my whole life. I mean, I've spent nights with him if we would go visit his house. But, you know, I did not have the memories of them together. And then they're leaving and kind of going through that, you know, tragedy. So uh, mine was more um, from a very young age. I just loved writing words. And um, I would so enter So the those. poetry part
0: of it came first? <laughs>
1: yeah, the poetry part of it came first. I remember in the newspaper, they have those weird classified things that say like win 500 for the best poem. So mm-hmm. I'd always enter those. And um, <laughs> I loved words. I loved writing. I loved melodies from a very young age. I, I started writing songs when I was six or seven, started writing words, but I didn't pick up guitar until I was 18. So the love of writing really came from, from writing and words. What were those first
0: songs like? Were they
1: Gosh, I'd sing it a lot of your stuff to today you so is start crying.
0: Oh, go ahead. Go I some. will say
1: that <laughs> that um they were much heavier subject matter than one would usually be writing for like a seven year old. you know, mm-hmm. none of it was like the boy in school. It was one was called I see Him and You about a woman who had lost her husband and and kind of finding things about him and her new love. and um who am I with all this time? That was, I mean, they were very bad titles. but I just remember now, I won't put you through it, but like I said, I could sing them. I mean, they, they, were, um, just they a little, were... Just a oh, oh, little. Oh, no like, no, like literally, I can't sing it. You would all <laughs> just die. Um, but they were just heavier subject matter. And it's very interesting to me because I did not grow up the, child, the, the tortured child of an artist like a lot of kids do. I mean, my mm-hmm. mom was super mom, and we had such a strong family on her side around us that dad's absence, which was a lot. I mean, he was gone pretty much all the time. So... She was really amazing at kind of fulfilling both roles, and we were so close with my grandparents on her side. So I was a very happy, outgoing, um, you know, full of life and energy kid. I was not your average kind of divorced kid sitting in the room writing songs. So it's so interesting to me still where that came out, and that's what makes me think. Well, I can't really explain it, so I guess you know, it's it's in the blood for many musicians. Kids. I think I
0: think so. I think I think you there's something genetic in you, you know. And and, and and you weren't really particularly influenced by your dad's style of music, I don't gather. Uh, yeah, no. Or your grandfather. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I respected their music and, and liked it, but I didn't really get into heavily playing guitar and, and writing songs until I was about 18, When I, and when I did is when I went heavy on the train of Tom Waits and Nick Drake and Jackson Brown and Dylan and Neil Young and every songwriter Cat Stevens from that area and that's really the stuff that um, I feel like truly shaped me mm-hmm. um, that to say I, I do hate it when dad gets kind of boxed in because some people only know his party songs and his rowdy songs and oh, they his don't ballads know,
0: are wonderful yeah
1: you know they don't know mm-hmm. songs like Old Habits or In the Arms of Cocaine or "Bluesman." Blues, Bluesman, I love Bluesman. Yes. that's one of my
2: favorites I'm just a singer mm-hmm. Natural born guitar ringer, kind of a clinger to sad old song.
1: So he has such a talent also as a singer songwriter that may not get um, talked about as much as his rowdy stuff, and then obviously Hank did. But um, any, any, any. Music that's just a, a voice and a guitar and great lyrics, whether that's Merle Haggard or Tom York or whoever it may be. I'm just I've always just been drawn to that so
0: much. I, I share this with you in some ways because I had Hank Sr.'s records, but I never played them when I was a kid. Oh, wow. It had to be. I had to become an adult, yeah, to hear that music and get it.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know, I yeah. just, yeah.
0: I think I was all into R and B,
1: and I was into right. what kids are into. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I was at New Kids on the Block and Michael Bolton every concert front row, but you <laughs> and, know, and she's not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> no, and even though so much music from the '80s shaped me, I mean, I adore what Phil Collins was doing and Peter Gabriel and and Genesis, and I feel so blessed to have grown up in a time where we all kind of listened to the same songs on the radio and, and they were so amazing. I mean, songs like In Your Eyes from Peter Gabriel, the story of that and the fact that that used to be a hit played on radio stations everywhere, you know, that, that just these incredible stories are... What,
0: what, what, when did you come around to your grandfather? I mean, everybody who writes and sings mm-hmm. eventually has to has to come around to Hank Williams. I mean, mm-hmm. he's so influential and such a fantastic writer. Right. So how did that... Was it because of the musicians you admired, admired your grandfather, and you said, maybe I should listen?
1: Well, some of that also. So, you know, I grew up with such a famous dad that I didn't really have the time to pay attention to who Hank Williams was, and I I honestly thought, you know, he was an old guy who uh, wrote Hey, Good Lookin' in a few songs. Like, I didn't get it yet that 29 years old is, like, a child (laughs) and all of those things. So when I, like I said, when I started touring, at 19 I went to Europe and opened for Ron Sexsmith, and these people were just, like, flipping out and feigning that I'm Hank Senior's granddaughter. And I'm going, well, he's not that famous. Hank Jr. is the one that's famous. You know, I just didn't know. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I heard, um, I heard Leonard Cohen speaking about him, and Leonard's like my idol. And then I saw Bruce Springsteen mention him, and then I, you know, would read about Bob Dylan mentioning him, and suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, all of my heroes love this man who's my grandfather. What is going on? And then I started digging in completely. So it was really interesting how it came full circle and took – even I, I had the honor of meeting and spending time with Bob Dylan, you know, years ago in, uh, when I first started doing music and, and how passionate he was about Hank and the stories he would tell me. He knew way more about, you know, about Hank than I did. So it was just amazing to see that come around. Um, I've gotten to, to use it to meet personal heroes and go, I'm Hank's daughter. Can I get backstage? You know, that was, I used Works that all for the time me. in high school. Exactly. <laughs> So um it's been amazing you know just to see those people love him so much and, and you have
0: and learned music. a few of your grandfather's songs now right
1: I have you know I know that I'm the girl that knows the words to like every song ever from anyone but I'm I'm still kind of the the type of guitar player and piano player that I know my songs really good but I don't know anyone else's and I don't I never learned music so I don't know like what keys and notes and all that stuff is mm-hmm. so um gosh I really sound like a moron so no, trust trust just,
0: me. She knows her way around a stage. <laughs> I
1: can't just start playing. Oh yeah, let's play this one. But um, I usually do. Uh, I'm slow to my cry. Sometimes I'll do. I saw the light. Sometimes
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can do a little bit of. I saw the light. Let's see here.
2: Uh,
1: let's
2: sing it I wondered so aimless, life feel with sin. I wouldn't let. My dear Savior, in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night.
0: You're
3: you're his granddaughter, all right. <laughs> so nice. There's a soulfulness. There's a soulfulness in your voice that just really. I've seen out. this woman. It's not
1: the being up all night with the two-year-old who's sick.
3: <laughs> Whatever works. I have s- I so have
1: much.
0: seen this woman hush an entire audience with her magnetism. She's unbelievably good. Oh, thank you. Um, there was a time though when you probably didn't care whether you whether you played or not when you got in that car accident that was so Mm
1: -hmm. gruesome
0: i remember reading about it thinking oh my god Mm
1: -hmm. what a
0: thing to go through what tell me about that
1: yeah that was let's see that was it'll be 10 years uh here in march Mm because it was march of 2007 and you and your sister no no no, march 2006 my sister and i your sister Mm -hmm. so we were headed to my grand my maternal grandfather's funeral the ones that we were so close to and spent so much time on the louisiana farm And, and so we were on the way down there To his funeral, and my mom was already there, so she was about ready to go to the visitation that afternoon. And um, my sister just looked down at the phone like we all do, way too much. And this is even before the crazy years of texting. But she was just changing something on the station, and it was on Highway 61 outside Memphis. And there was no kind of the, the side of the road where it has the buzzer and lets you know that you're, you know, getting off track. So, long story short, they've had a lot of deaths on that road you know, going 65 miles an hour and kind of veered over and hit the gravel. And when we hit the gravel, I don't know if my bloody murder scream caused the accident or her reaction from hitting, but like hitting a full thing of gravel at that speed will jolt you, you know, the sound of it. And lost control of the car and flipped and flipped and ended up in the other median. And we, gosh, we, I think the car was on its side and some people came and flipped it on its back. So she was kind of hanging from her from her seatbelt, and then they flipped it over, and um, I was out for a while, maybe three or four minutes, just passed out, and, and a lady came, and she said, you've been in a horrible car accident, you know, please don't move, we're waiting on the life flight, and I, kept, and I said, no ma'am, I'm headed to my grandfather's funeral, but I said, it's the night before, and I'm in a dream, so can y'all please wake me up, And and I literally thought I was in a dream until the very next morning. Life flight got there. My sister was actually pronounced dead at the scene and was revived maybe three or four minutes later. She, I mean, had just lost all her blood and, and, um, she had a pretty amazing experience in heaven. And she said that right the first time we hit, we hit the, the side of the car, the first time we flipped that she immediately was, was kind of hovering above watching from above. And she said she felt all this pain and then was gone. And, And I I hate speaking for her, especially on very delicate things like (laughs) dying and going to heaven. Mm -hmm. But kind of the long and short of it is um, she said that she, you know, heard this incredible music and these colors that the human eye couldn't describe. And that she was sitting with Hank and Audrey and uh, Merle Kilgore, who was one of my dad's managers, and a couple family members. But she said that only our family could see her. And none of the friends that she saw could see her. And she said she was yelling and screaming at Merle Kilgore, who was like our other dad, saying, it's me, it's Hillary, I'm here, I'm here, can you see me? But she said only our family could see her. And that she was describing Audrey's outfit and her black and white polka dot dress and red lips. And she said that Hank looked at her and and said, you know, it's not your time, honey, it's not your time. And she said Jesus was holding her. And whoever's listening, we're really not crazy people, but she had this experience and you know, she didn't tell us for a while. And when she did, even though we grew up, my mom's a Christian, so we grew up kind of in faith, but she just said I didn't want to sound crazy. And when I walked into her hospital room two days later, she wrote it on a note for me. And we were in the ER area and they said, you know, we hear these stories all the time, so it doesn't it doesn't surprise us or make us think that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. So she said that she turned around and, and, and um and Hank waved at her and she turned around and she said she just went into this kind of tunnel. And started feeling this indescribable amount of pain. And that's when they woke her up. And she was, you know, just, I mean, she's been through uh, 41 surgeries. Each day, we did not know if she would make it to the next. She was bedridden for almost a year and a half. She has had every surgery you could think of has fake, you know, steel thighs and steel hips and everything. And she would say, when she was in a lot of pain, she'll start crying and say, I want to be back in heaven. Like, I don't want to be here. I'm in so much pain. And... And I've heard that from a few people who had these experiences that say it was so amazing. I just want to be back in that peace and out of this pain. And so it was very tragic, very hard for, you know, her and everyone in the family. And I came out really, um, I mean, amazing considering I had a broken arm and some some gore. But it's interesting, I looked a lot worse. So when they call my mom, you know, she's getting ready to go to her father's funeral. And they say, your daughters are four hours away in Mississippi. And you need to get in the car, they're not going to make it. They they actually told her, they said, Holly is not going to make it, but Hillary may. And so I was the Freddy Krueger looking blood and gore person. Mm-hmm. And she was the one that looked okay, but no one knew about the internal stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's really when music kind of was on hold for me. I'd, I'd only released one album and um, right. that's when I ended up going, I need something in Nashville that, that, you know, I don't know when I'm going to play guitar again, my arms in a cast and my hands all messed up and so that's when I eventually opened, um, got, tried to get a business plan and get investors for my clothing store. Um, and I, I just wanted something that I love to do in town. I love design and, and all those things. But that wasn't keeping me away from, from Hillary and does everything.
0: It, does it ever strike you that there's something eerie and a little scary about the fact your dad nearly died in a Mm -hmm. bad act Mm -hmm. hank jr had that fall on the mountain Mm -hmm. had to have his face reconstructed Mm -hmm. your grandfather died at 29 i mean Mm -hmm. this is all so
1: yeah i mean there was a lot i mean dad um you know he was just a wreck and i do remember when i finally realized i wasn't in a dream it was the next morning and i was watching tv and it said on cnn something daughters of hank jr something and I remember him being next to my bedside just weeping and and it just hit me i was like and i looked at my phone and my voicemail was full and all these emails and i thought wait i'm not dreaming this is real there's some kind of tragedy going on and and it took me so long to yeah (laughs) it took me so long to process it but you know that was it it was really an interesting bonding time for them because you know when you grow up without a dad we work on our relationship and, and we know he loves us but there's still that kind of emptiness from him being gone so much. And when for him to sit by her bedside and know the pain that she was in, know what she had been through, he was just so, so amazing and so supportive and just how there. emotionally available he was. He'd yeah.
0: totally been there himself. Because yeah. he
1: was 25 when he fell off that mountain and should have never lived, and she was um, 28 when the wreck happened and I was 26. And, you know, so it just... I don't want to say it creates a sense. Of, well, I guess it does a little bit of fear, but it is interesting that all these things were just, you know, mm-hmm. happening.
0: You wrote a song out of this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. a, a really one of your one of your most powerful songs,
1: thank
0: you. "Without Jesus Here with Me," and that's just an amazing piece of work. So thank you. Out of pain comes beauty.
1: Yeah, and I'd always grown up because people are like, did you have some kind of spiritual reawakening? I mean, I, I grew up you know, in the church, looking at my clock going, what time is lunch? You know, like most (laughs) kids do. But um, that was really kind of a a faith moment for me. And we'll never understand why, you know, this, this year alone, we had two very tragic things happen to close friends. And you go, why them? You know, people with four kids and this happened to them, but then we were spared and... That's stuff that is not for us to figure out but for a, you know god mm-hmm. to figure out because we can never ask those questions but um it definitely was my moment of going well we were left here for a reason because you know for me for instance they still can't like mathematically explain how i am here because the sunroof the the sunroof i mean i remember visually waking up it looked like a dagger just this crazy like knife ice looking part of the windshield and they were like how do you, how are you not just like shredded really there was just so much stuff on my side and um and both of our scars kind of start right at our hairline and and goes down and and they're just like we don't even know how y'all are alive I mean we've just flipped and flipped and flipped going 80 miles an hour and so they did tell us when we got in they said if she lives you know she definitely will have to have both legs amputated and same stuff they told dad she'll never do this again she'll never do that again Mm -hmm. we just felt like there were so many miracles involved with that um oh my gosh it's
2: been Literally so long since I played this. I don't talk to him that much. I know I never pray enough. Oh, but I don't know where I would be without Jesus here with me. I don't know why I'm still here Or why I lived that Wednesday morn They were raising hands and screaming Holy, Jesus was right there with me I gladly would have died that day to save a child Who went away, but you can't trade a life like that. I guess it's part of the master plan. My sister fought, my daddy cried, my mama begged him for our lives. And I don't know how I would breathe without Jesus here with me. little snippet.
3: So nice. So nice. You talk about a child in that song. Was, was, was something else leave you that day, or?
1: You know, it's more just. Um, oh gosh, what is that lyric? Gladly would have gladly would have died that day to save the child who went away. You know, but you can't trade a life like that. I guess it's part of the master plan, and that really came from. Why us? And you hear about children dying in a car accident, or whoever it may be. You know, a father of three, or trade child for just. Just why you and I always find that hard when I, because I have done concerts and told people the story, and they'll. I've had people come to me crying, going, "Well, you know, I had one lady, you know, well, I'll never understand why didn't God save my eight-year-old, but he saved you guys." And that's when you get into those questions that are un- unanswerable questions. But I was just writing that about, you know, from one person to the next, you never know.
0: For those of you listening, that's on her second album, and you need to own it.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: The album's called Here With Me, isn't it?
1: It's called Here With Me, That's yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, the second album.
0: Your music is so moving to me, and so um, a lot of it's sad. I mean, a lot of it's, it is, uh, I mean, I, I'm i of the opinion that people need to cry as much as they need to laugh. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I love sad movies, yeah. I, you know, I like all oh, yeah. that stuff. So um, tell me about your, the process of, of writing is it the, that you're sad when you write them or something else or just that it's just a place you go to?
1: Well, it's so interesting because I think so many writers um well at least living in Nashville being surrounded by Nashville music row writers they have their ten o'clock and two o'clock appointments right. and they <laughs> go to their office and they really go okay, I'm feeling this today, I'm feeling that let's write about that And for me and sometimes this just sounds like such a boring answer, but it's so true I don't they just fall literally out of the sky, and I just write it down. I I can't think of a time literally ever in my life when I had gone, you know what, I'm really feeling this emotion today, so let me sit down and try to capture it. It's just been...
0: (sighs) No, that's what Harlan Howard used to say to me. Did he? That they fall out of the sky.
1: It's just, I mean, waiting on June, which is probably one of the saddest in a bittersweet way, the life story of my grandparents... I was literally washing dishes, and the verses with the melody just came to me so fast, I had to run in the kitchen and, or run in the living room, write them down, and grab my guitar and, and start going from there.
2: She was from North Louisiana in the town of Marooch I fell in love in a week or two It didn't take long to love a girl like that we were barely 10 in the cotton fields, playing horseshoe with the colored kids. I tried to kiss her. She grabbed a baseball bat. Hey, I was waiting on Jim. I hope she comes to see me I'm waiting on Jim. I can't take this feeling of waiting on I pray to God, she'll love me on one of these days. I hope I find my way, waiting on you. Mm. Little verse of
0: that. You loved them, didn't you? Yes. What about so. drinking? That's a song that, that, that oh, yeah. really speaks, you know. Is yeah. that, is it, did that fall out Gosh, of the sky? that
1: just, yeah. I mean, out. This, it, this sounds so weird, but like when I'm washing dishes, vacuuming, and driving down the road... Driving really down the road is
0: very common. Those actually. are
1: my those mm-hmm. are my times. Now these days I'm not touring as heavily right now, so I'm driving five minutes away to the store and I'm on the cell phone working and it's different. But the days when I had no kids and I was driving down from city to city in the middle of the night that's when they would just kind of like pour in.
3: That song, your voice too, sounds different to me than in other songs. I mean, that's that you have that quality too, right. I think. The, well, the ability you. to almost transcend to a place where you need to be for that song.
1: Thank you. Well, that's I think what every songwriter, you know, yearns to do. And sometimes it, it will be personal and then sometimes it may be a film or a movie or someone I saw or a story you see and I'm the girl that if I wasn't a female, I would love to go hang out in the homeless areas and hear stories. I just love people's stories. Mm-hmm. You know? Can we hear some of drinking? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm.
2: Why are you drinking like the night is young hey why are you drinking like the night is' young the kids are in the bed and the day's long done so why are you drinking like the night is young
1: why are you screaming like
2: I don't have ears hey why like I don't have ears Baby I can hear you loud and clear So why are you screaming like I don't
3: I can
0: see how that's a fan favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they come from. They just come from. But I'm I'm the girl who prays for songs, prays for creativity, believes it comes from, from somewhere else if you have it in you, but you... You never know where some of these ideas come. from. Well, around. you know,
0: one of the things I thought was really interesting was how you would be willing to change the course of a project if, if a song like Hi- the highway, the story about highway, you titled your last album after a song that really wasn't on the record in the first mm-hmm. place.
1: Yeah, you're. But right. <laughs> well, you know everything. That's so true. Um, man, my poor producers—they've hated me over plenty of times. But I, I think also, you know, this day and age with all the technology, it's so easy to over-record a song and overthink about it, and you try it. A hundred different ways. That's what happened with "Waiting on June." We had maybe three different versions, all these bands, and finally, i just said, "Can we just go in for the fiftieth time with me and a microphone and try it again?" And I, you know, that's that's actually what happened with the highway recording, also. But
0: so the record was done, mm-hmm. and you're pumping gas, and the song comes to you, right? Isn't mm-hmm, this the story? Mm-hmm, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. The record was called Railroads. It had nine songs on it. I was at the gas station in Green Hills. I don't know where it came from. I just started singing the chorus, you know.
2: Out there on the highway, open road on, oh, baby, will you roll with me, roll with me, head down to New Orleans.
1: And that's the only part. And I went home and wrote it down real quick. It was pretty easy. Grabbed the guitar to find it. It was pretty easy. G, C, D. And and um, it became such a story of the record. I played it for my husband immediately and called the producer and said, we have to cut it. But I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for. I, I was waiting for a song on that record. But no, Holly,
0: the record's done. Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll just call more people and go to the studio again. Uh, I haven't had the cover done. I mean, the whole thing was literally done. Um, but this time I also was, was paying for it myself and doing and releasing it on my own label so I didn't have to go through all kind of rigmarole to kind of get that done. so... I, I went home that night and told my husband, you know, this is saying what I've been missing this whole time being in the studio and being off. It's like I'm dying to get back on the road. I'm dying to get back on tour, and and that's where that song came from. So, <laughs>
0: she changed the whole record over the song. <laughs>
1: do you love the tour? I do. It's, I, don't it's... Lo- I
0: don't love the road. I'm not. I'm not a road dog. Mm-hmm.
1: Well. I mean, pros and cons, meaning, you know, I've never been, people assume, Hank's daughter, and she's probably on jets. I'm not even on tour buses. We're in my Suburban that's sitting out there. It has about 330,000 miles, and I've taken that all over the road. But I loved the road in the sense that I got to do it, you know, a la the Kerouac way of doing it. I was not, uh, most of the time I couldn't afford a tour manager, so I didn't have tour managers. I didn't have you know, buses and, and crews with this schedule and that schedule. Most of my touring in the early days with me, was me and a guitar, mm-hmm. which driving around. Which is, you're great at just that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And really being young and and dying to see the world and dying to, to drive out west and do all these things and stay at little whatever, bed and breakfasts and find local bars. I mean, I was just so eager to like see what it, what it was outside of Nashville. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're in your young 20s, you get to be have that part of it. So I didn't mind all the schlepping those years, you know, later down the road, when you get a little older and you want like, you know, maybe a faucet that doesn't put out like milky water looking (laughs) stuff. And, you know, through the years, more albums sold and we were able to stay in a little bit nicer hotels and all those things. But, um, there's just something to me about, I love traveling. Now at this point, you know, I've got a
0: two year old little girl
1: and a 10 month -old. old and My husband, shortly after we got married, he went and joined the Kings of Leon, and got to travel the world in the finest way that you can ever imagine traveling the world for years. Uh, So that got us a little bit spoiled. I I will admit, I became a little bit of a snob. It was it was hard to go from their caviar wine filled private jet to the five star hotel with you know hydro soaking tubs. Back to like the Ramada <laughs> and my mom's suburban and doing all that stuff. Um,
0: but I read sorry. someplace that uh, Nashville has one of the lowest out migration rates of any city in the United States. In other words, most people, most people who are from here stay here. Okay. And so what is it about what, in a general sense, what do you think it is about Nashville? What is so
1: fascinating well? I mean, there know, is
0: so much creativity here, you know?
1: right. It's been so interesting for me because I've been here since 1984, so I've seen it from where, I mean, I remember when we got the Gap and the first Starbucks, it was like the second coming. I remember all <laughs> the things happening. Oh my God, we're getting a Starbucks. We're getting a Banana Republic. We're getting, like, now. I was here when Nashville was not cool at all, you know, And and to see what it is now when, honestly, it was only six or seven years ago when there were, Literally two, maybe three restaurants I'd want to leave my kitchen for, and re- now there I is—
0: here. I remember
1: so many I can't even keep up. I'm like, who has time to try all these restaurants <laughs> and you know
0: this amazing culture? But is it a blessing or a curse to be the child of fame? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, for me, honestly, this sounds very vague. I guess it is, but I, I haven't found it to necessarily fill either definition strongly. Meaning. Since I'm a woman and I love to, you know, sing Tom Waits covers on the piano and finger pit guitar, I'm already kind of separated enough from dad's music because he's the rowdy country guy and I'm the folky girl or whatever you want to call it. Um, so when even when I first started, I'd have his fans come to shows thinking they were going to expect more of a maybe Gretchen Wilson type, you know, musician mm-hmm. or that kind of music. And so I didn't really get judged as harshly, I believe, because it was different. And had I been wearing a cowboy hat and trying to do the mainstream country thing, I think then you could have said, Well, she is or is not as good as him or whatever, you know, that kind of term means. So
0: Well he faced young, it too. I mean he, right. he even wrote songs about it. You know, it's right. kinda hard standing when you're standing in the shadows of a very famous man, which and he I, was.
1: Totally. And mm-hmm. I think for him it was a thousand times harder. His dad died at such a young age, he was expected to fill his shoes. For with me it's like Hank Sr., successful dad, successful. I was so so long later, I don't feel like I dealt with any of the pressures that he did. Uh-huh. You know, I had not been on tour since I was four years old singing his songs like he had done with his dad. Um, and so I was always able to separate out a little bit in Nashville. Now, that said, people assume, okay, you're Hank's daughter, so everything can be given to you. But because I wasn't really doing the mainstream country route, it made it a lot harder in that I it took me, um, I, I don't even know, I guess six years to get a deal you know, I worked in a makeup counter in the mall and then um, worked at a few different jobs in Green Hills and made 500 bucks a month from this kind of investor who believed in my music and said, you know, if you can keep doing shows, he was a manager, then I'll pay for your kind of monthly rent and expenses and all that. So I had to work a lot longer and harder just because it wasn't natural for me to get into, like, the mainstream country world. I think if it was, I could have maybe gotten a record deal. And-
3: what it would impress quickly. me with that, was the idea that you would play in front of houses as small as six or ten people mm-hmm. and and you were fine about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people with famous parents would be like, well, the expectation would be they would be like, ah, uh, that's not for me. Right. You fill that house and then I'll come out. There. And it,
1: I guess I just, I, it's funny because I think back now, I didn't even think about it. I mean, this random Irish pub that I would play downtown, you know, I don't know, it'd be two o'clock, there'd be like four people there. But at the time... I was so excited, the fact that I was getting $500 a month, I got to live with my mom, I got to play music in the day, and my friends were, like, slumping away in their studies. So it's weird, because I felt like, this is cool, like, I can tell them, like, I don't go to college, I'm doing music now, and I felt cool about that, and and I guess it wasn't a a blessing in the way of, like, getting to meet Stevie Wonder and, you know, Neil Young faster than you would otherwise, but it hasn't really, like, <laughs> been a huge... I'm sure at t- concerts I'd probably sell a few more tickets because it. maybe, maybe not. I have no idea, honestly.
0: Well, you know, your name can get you in the door, but your music has to keep that door open. I mean, right. you, you, you you can only go through that door one time. Right. And and two, I think you, in a way, you were joining a fraternity but because the, most of the clubs in Nashville are small songwriter places, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's what you do here. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you're an artist, a real artist, mm-hmm. um, that's that's part of joining that That community, you know, and I think you did that, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, it was important to me in the beginning to find my own fan base and I had to work longer and harder that way. And really, um, you know, The Highway, which came out when I was 32, that sold way more records than any ones with the big major labels and big budgets. And when I finally did get a record deal, it wasn't a major label. And, you know, they really struggled in me with finding my place in music because country radio wouldn't play me because it was too left of center. But then the kind of alternative station said it was too country tinge because my name. So it's kind of always in that gray area. You know, then I started doing extensive tours with people like Jason Isbell and John Prine and, you know, started really finding my niche in that Americana world Mm -hmm. that, um, is really amazing. And has helped me be able to find in, in, you know, a lot of cities, those kind of 300 people that want to come and listen to stories and listen to the songs. And, um, I'm really happy with where I am now. I I think that, you know, I want to continue to grow and continue to put out music, but my goals have never been for the arena just because of the type of music I sing. I I love seeing bands at the arena more than anyone, but for what I'm doing, it's like more theater kind of. I love telling stories. I love talking to the audience. I
0: don't love arenas, and I do dearly love a songwriter club, and that's Mm -hmm. why I love you. Mm -hmm.
3: Thank you. (laughs) Could you play a little bit of The Highway for us as we close out here?
2: Yes. Let's see. Uh, been sitting here wondering if I'll ever get back to those wheels will I ever be changing those strings out before now I am wishing for the life that I used to live giving everything that I had to give in a brand new city bound every night missing those nights. Missing that sky, I've been missing home. Missing their smiles, missing those miles I've been missing home. Out there on the highway, out there on the open road. Oh, honey, will you roll with me, roll with me? Head down to New Orleans. I should be wearing out. Out there with the boys I love Everybody, will you roll with me, roll with me Running down this stream, yeah And get me out there on the highway
3: So nice. So nice.
2: Thank you. So
3: good.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I enjoyed the heck out of that.
1: Oh, I did too.
4: Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B-side, Stories from the Road. First, some quick producer's notes. Since we last saw Holly, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, Arlo Gale. He's going to have his hands full with two older sisters. That's right, it's her third child with her husband, the musician Chris Coleman. Now, I know most people think kids of famous musicians travel around the world in first class, but trust me. Everyone's looking for a deal. Here's Holly talking about an amazing airfare she found while touring overseas that was a little too good to be true. What's your favorite road story or goofiest one?
1: Oh lord! <laughs> <laughs> or is there probably one? the time that I was on tour in Italy and I found these amazing uh, airplane deals for 60 bucks per plane ticket. Got to the airport, and long story short, they charged me $900 in baggage fees because it was one of those where you're not allowed to have baggage, and we had tons for the band and for the music, and so I spent about three hours bawling, crying, in some tiny town in Italy in their airport, telling them every reason why I couldn't pay it and why they had to let me on, and long story, I mean, they're like, sorry, you know, you're either stuck here, so, oh, yeah, I paid $900 in baggage fees and cried for a few days. Next
4: time, Charles Isherwood and I sit down with the Broadway star Jim Dale. Now, most of you probably know him as the voice behind all the Harry Potter books and those wonderful characters. In the silence going up, I heard a little voice behind me say,
0: Excuse me, sir. Can you take your bum out of my face?
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's a Can't Miss episode with some very funny stories. And if you like what you hear, become a subscriber. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and spread the word. Children of Song, the podcast that combines live music with great storytelling. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening.